Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Robcast. This one I've been looking forward to for a while because Jeff Ketch is in the back house. Welcome. Oh, my gosh. All the way from Pennsylvania. All the way. Okay, a couple of weeks ago, Robcast friends, Jeff and I had a conversation about soil. Mm-hmm. He, you are the CEO mm-hmm. of the Rodale Institute. That's right, Chief Impact Officer. Chief Impact Officer. Did you all invent organic farming? What's the thing on organic farming in you all? Uh, J.I. Rodale, our founder, actually coined the term organic and pioneered the whole movement. Okay, you told me that and then dropped just a few things about soil, food, what we eat, how the earth provides for us. And it was just one of those, like, for me, just like an explosion, like everybody needs to hear this, number one. And number two, I need to hear Jeff talk about this more. Yeah. My, my curiosity thing just went, so here you are, um, and soil is your thing. Soil is my thing. What, and here I am. Why? And when you talked about it, there was an existential urgency to it. So, so tell me a bit about soil before we get into your history, before we get into the Institute. Yeah. Um, so, Robcast friends, just, you know, get ready, because here we go. Soil. Well, first and foremost, let's talk about a teaspoon. You, t- you go and find a teaspoon of healthy soil, and there's 9 billion microorganisms in that teaspoon. There's more people, more than there are people on the planet. One teaspoon of healthy soil. And healthy soil is is how uh, frequent I and mean, how much of it covers the earth. Well, current estimates are that we've actually degraded half of our world's topsoil in the last 150 years. And current estimates would suggest that if we continue to farm the way we farm, we have about 60 arable growing seasons left on planet Earth. Moreover. Yeah, 60. Wait, how long is an arable growing season? Uh, well, 12 months. So Okay, so the soil on Earth was healthy for tens of thousands of years and could grow, could sustain nutrients, etc. Mm-hmm. Then s- s- we started doing something in the past 150 years, which is like a blip, that seriously degraded half the soil yeah. covering the planet. Yeah. And we went from tens of thousands of years to now 60 years left. Yeah. Uh, okay, keep going. Well, actually, I should also suggest that soil is quite possibly the most, most complex ecosystem on the planet. So more complex than our oceans, more complex than rainforests, it is the single most complex life that we know on planet Earth. And the reality is, is that we only know about 10% of what's actually going on at a microscopic level in the soil. So scientists would, su- would suggest that we, there's about 90% of soil that we don't know. Um, so not only is it this organism that sustains us, but it is so unbelievably con- complex and wrought with so many answers to some of our world's greatest problems. It's interesting that scientists talk about how the universe is 96% dark matter. Dark energy, dark holes, black holes. Yeah. And that only like 4% of the universe is actually known. Yeah. Um, but scientists always say, but that 96% is abs- it's central to the life of the universe. It's a giant mystery, but it's also totally necessary. Yeah. So you're saying soil is a, a mystery in the same, dirt is mysterious. Yeah, and there's actually a big, there's a big difference between dirt and soil. Soil is alive. It's teeming with life. There's bacteria, fungi, nematodes. There's all kinds of microbiological. What's a nematode? A nematode is some kind of uh, microbiological particle that communicates with the rest of the microbiome in the soil. So this, just imagine this massive communication network that's made up of all kinds of tiny, tiny, tiny things that ultimately makes, gives soil life. So soil has life. Dirt is dead. So unfortunately, most of the farmland in, uh, around the world is becoming dirt as opposed to living soil. If I held soil in one hand and dirt in the other mm-hmm. to the naked eye, just by the, looking at it and feeling it, could I tell a difference? Absolutely. You could tell a difference by the sight of your eyes and you could smell a difference. It's ma- massive, massive. Like what? Cl- it's cl- darker? It sticks together? Uh, yeah. So in, in healthy soil, there's actually this whole structure, this stru- structure that's held together by something called the mycorrhizae. It's actually a, like a like a glue. Uh, the actual 
scientific name for it is glomalin, and that's what glom make, onto each other. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So it's like this massive sponge, and so healthy soil is actually extremely distinct because it looks different, it smells different, it feels different in the palm of your hand, whereas dirt would actually fall through your hand. It's almost like the next. It's almost. It's very close to sand. Sand like. Did you? How much did did you? Where did you learn all this, by the way? Side note. The side note is I'm fortunate enough to be surrounded by 10 PhD scientists uh, at the Rodale Institute, so I have just absorbed from... Do you have a science background? I don't. Furthest thing from a science you background. You just hung around with the right people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, what did humans do in the past 150 years that so diminished mm -hmm. the soil quality around the planet? Yeah, well, in the... In the efforts of what we felt at the time was advancement, we modernized and mechanized something called the plow. And the plow is single-handedly one of the most disruptive things we've ever created. Um, soil is meant not to be plowed. It's because it's a living, breathing organism, there, it's teeming with life. There's something like 70 earthworms in every square foot of healthy soil. And those earthworms are what allow the soil to breathe and for water to flow through it and for air to release from it and for carbon to be stored at deep depths. But when we come through with a plow, we so decimate and eradicate all living life You're in that splitting soil. apart a thing that's naturally glommed. Right, and meant to be held together. So, so how do you then plant seeds and grow food and all that? Well, there's, uh, there's technologies and practices that we've created at Rodale Institute as well as other amazing organizations around the world that have developed uh, something called no-till agriculture or no-till organic is what we've, called, we've coined it at Rodale. So we're actually uh, using something called cover crops because soil, as I mentioned, is living and breathing and it needs something green and growing at all times. A cover crop is a crop that would be planted not to be harvested, but rather to hold the soil together in times, you know, in between planting and harvesting, you then would plant a cover crop which fixes nitrogen and makes the soil healthier and puts nutrients in that soil. And then when it comes time to plant your cash crop, rather than coming through with a plow, we've created an implement called the roller crimper, which actually looks a lot like a, like a pizza roller. And a farmer would have that on the front of their tractor, and as they come through, um, they're actually coming through with one pass and terminating that cover crop. They roll it down flat and almost like creates like a carpet-like structure. And then on the back of the tractor, there'd be a planter. And so there's, it cuts a little slit, allows the seed to drop in. And then eventually your cash crop comes up through that weed barrier or through that, that carpet lake. And uh, that weed barrier begins to decay and form a compost and a mulch. And then your crop grows. Okay. Just... God, my, my, I feel like my brain's going to explode. Uh, whenever you're in rural areas, though, like I grew up, we had a 10-acre farm. We farmed seven of it. So I, we had a tractor, a John Deere 4020, three-point hitch. Love it. And uh, a plow. We'd plow the mm -hmm. earth. Um, so every, when you drive on country roads and you get behind a tractor pulling a plow, yeah. are you, like, is what you're saying, like, really radical and dangerous and controversial to standard farming? It's completely at this point it's completely foreign to most of the farmers in america and around the world yes however fortunately there is um, tremendous science that is coming forward and uh, this grassroots body of farmers that are beginning to wake up to a new paradigm so it's slowly becoming more and more adopted how did how widely known is it that our soil is so depleted through plowing. Because people have plowed for way longer than 150 years ago. Yeah. I mean, that goes back. Actually, you can go all the way back to, do you know what the catalyst for the Industrial Revolution was? <laughs> 900 AD? It was the plow. Oh, fascinating. So for some 1,100 years, we've slowly begun to march our way. Because before that, you had the hoe. H-O-E, yeah. peoples. <laughs> Which was, was that as damaging as the plow? No, because you're only going to a certain depth. A hoe only goes for an God, inch or two. Okay, that was the missing piece for me. Mm -hmm. So for a long, long time, people had an individual implement that just surface scraped and pierced, yeah. which didn't have the same devastating effects as, what's that, 1,100 years ago, this new piece of technology yeah. pierces and divides the earth at a much deeper, more invasive level. And that is what 
then, whether it be 850 years later, has depleted the soil. Is that correct? That's right. That's like, just like bad simplification of history, but it feels right. <laughs> so exactly right. Okay, so it's like a thousand years here of momentum that's got us to this yeah. point. Fast forward to 1975, and that became a real inflection point for a real a real tipping point for the the decimation of our soils at rates that are so alarming that uh, it's it's hard to fathom. That was the year that Roundup uh, glyphosate was patented. So Roundup's Roundup, a weed killer. It's an herbicide. That's correct. It's a it's a weed killer. So when we say uh, see organic food in the grocery store, mm -hmm. it's something that didn't have Roundup on it. That's right. It wasn't sprayed with any pesticides or herbicides. When did food and crops start getting... Was that 1975 the first time large-scale spraying of crops? That was the year that Roundup was patented, but you could actually go all the way back to World War II, and that was really the birth of the Industrial Revolution. Um, ironically, it was the same time that our founder, J.I. Rodale, uh, coined the term organic, and he began his own search, which I hope we can dig into. But yeah. really, post-World War II is when we began to see this um, onslaught of pesticides and herbicides. Uh, what happened was, after World War II, we had all this petroleum left over, and uh, we realized that we could extract from petroleum nitrogen, NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, to make synthetic pesticides and herbicides. And so that's when you began to see things like atrazine and 2,4-D, and Agent, Agent Orange was actually an herbicide. So it was this post-World War II, post-Vietnam, where we really saw the momentum ratchet up. But the real smoking gun seems to be the, the advent of Roundup and glyphosate in 1975. That was the first time, was that the first time in human history when people were eating food that had been grown on land that had been mass sprayed with essentially chemicals? Yes, yeah. But how did food... I have the dumbest questions, I realize. My questions are so ignorant, but I love them. But they're not because you're not alone. We're so divorced from the way food is grown and how it's produced. Not yeah. to mention, we as a society have so divorced ourselves from soil. Think about how many layers come between our feet yeah, right. and, and the ground we walk on. By the way, this is one of, the, one of the most powerful things about surfing for me is that every, what, every other day or so, I walk in bare feet yeah. on the earth. Mm -hmm. And... I realize that there's something that happens there that is like r goes really deep in yeah. me as a human being on the planet. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that skin on the earth's surface and how easy it is to go days and days, months and months without that. There's actually massive studies on this and and like uh, grounding and yeah, energies yeah. and all that. There's actually like like changes at the neuron level when we touch earth, soil, sand elements yeah it's funny because kids when they run around always want their shoes off yeah to be in the grass mm -hmm. like instinctively okay that's a whole other episode we got to get back to this then we got to go to Rodale and then we got to get a bit of your story so we got ground to cover tell me what before roundup and these mass chemicals spraying of field how did things get grown beforehand yeah. Well, first of all, let me just give a shout out to our farmers because farmers are so some of the most intelligent, Absolutely. connected people on this planet. They are, they are so in tune with nature, and um, I have just the most tr respect and admiration for people that d produce food yeah. for a living. Oh yeah, yeah. We've been unfortunately our so prior to this advent of the industrial ag revolution and chemicals in our food system, you know, farmers worked with nature. They did things like uh, plant cover crops. They performed what's called crop rotations, where there's this massive rotation of what's grown in your soil, and it changes from month to month and year to year. And then there was no-till practices that were being done, but there was um, things like compost and other forms of biology. So we were using biology before we decided that chemistry was the better solution. And it was in doing so that we were able to work with nature to produce food. So was it the pressure to raise crop yields, bring prices down? What, what was the pressure after World War II to change those methods? It was more of a promise than it was pressure. Um, the advent of the, of the use of, of chemicals in, in agriculture was really a, a marketing idea. It was this idea that I can produce something in a laboratory that's going to help you on your land to grow more food. And ultimately, yes, it was about yields. We decided that the only yardstick that a farmer should be judged upon is yields. You know, can we out-yield one another? So it almost became like this competition or a game. How much product can you get out of this acreage? That's right. Which 
had an underbelly, like a dark side of not sustainable. Right. Like lots of things in the past hundred years, essentially. Yeah. Like a new technology or a new way to do it was profit sort of, tr uh, sort of, yeah, I do want to use that word. Profit trumped sustainability. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what it sounds, this sounds like an age old thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then. Like this has happened across culture in many ways. Completely, and then neglecting what I, the, the very fact that the, it's actually the soil that is what's going to ultimately control yields. We've decided that we're going to put our trust in this chemical as opposed to our trust in the soil that has given us life for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years. Wow. See, oh, this is like so many different, because I immediately think of how your body is made of the same stuff as the earth, essentially. The, the soil is like a body, the earth is like a body. So you're, you're, you're way ahead of the game here, Rob, because most, what, what most of us don't realize is that there's something called the microbiome. The microbiome are the bacteria and the fungi and the protozoa and the nematodes and everything that, that is living in the soil. What our doctors are finding just in recent years is that our microbiome literally has the same things in it that's in the soil, or should. And if the soil's depleted, then our own that's guts exactly are right. depleted. Mm -hmm. I was also thinking about um, for how many people in the morning need some caffeine, some stimulate, some energy drink, some, something to get the energy up, mm -hmm. um, which, no judgment, but the idea would be that your body could provide it's all, all the energy you needed. Um, so, so it's interesting how this works at a micro and a macro mm -hmm. level. Does it, the thing in its most natural state produce what's needed, or is an artificial stimulant needed to sort of jack up the levels? Yeah. Good God. I assume when you talk, people, their brains just go all over the place. Well, is this a normal occurrence for you? <laughs> <laughs> when you talk to an audience about this, because you're not like a, we're all going to die. Like, you're not like a, uh, you're a very calm, peaceful presence. But I assume when you talk about this, do people get... Agitated, scared, frightened? How do they, do they just get inquisitive? How does it work? Yeah, I actually spoke to a, a group of 1,300 medical doctors th uh, that gathered from around the world um, a few weeks ago out here in, in San Diego. And these are medical doctors who get about four hours of health education in their entire $500,000 education. And uh, when I stood up on stage at a medical convention to talk about farming, I got a standing ovation. <laughs> really? Yeah. Because this just it's isn't so radically foreign to them. But they must see the detrimental effects of this in patients. Well, yeah, and I was one of those patients. In fact, that's actually what led me to do this work. I mean, what happened to me and my own health over the last four, three years is really kind of parallel to what happened in our agricultural system. And it's, what happening, it's what's happening to many people today in, around the world where we're seeing this tremendous collapse in human health. I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, you know, one in 5,000 children had were you know were diagnosed with autism in 1975. The recent one in five thousand. One in five thousand. Recent numbers just came out that one in thirty six children have autism today. The number went from one in five thousand to one in thirty six. Yeah, four percent of the U.S. population had a chronic illness in 1960. Today, it's one in two will have a chronic illness at some point in their life. Whoa! So, what is the smoking gun to all that? You know, when you look at 1975, the, the advent of, of glyphosate and Roundup in our food production system, we saw dramatic spikes in autism, autoimmune diseases, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, depression. And what is glyphosate? What is Roundup? It's an antibiotic, Rob. It's a patented antibiotic. It's, this, it's, it's no different than, you know, right now our doctors are prescribing 833 out of one, every 1,000 people takes one course of antibiotics in a year. And 25% and of the population, there's a 25% there's a increased risk of depression within the year of taking an antibiotic. Oh, good God. The, oh, <laughs> really? Mm -hmm. So humans functioned in relationship to the soil a particular way for most of our time here. Yeah. And then within two generations through new methods and technologies and pesticides, et cetera, we've done this to ourselves. Yeah. And we didn't have to. And, and we understand, and you understand that what essentially we're doing is we're eradicating life, all life in the soil in the name of food for yields. And 
in our medical system, we're eradicating our own microbiomes through this, you know, rapid prprescriptions of drugs and antibiotics yeah, it's yeah. it's really one and the same if yeah, you really as want the soil it, goes we go yeah and isn't it interesting that bear is the company that recently purchased monsanto the who owns the the, the patent for roundup they were they purchased monsanto for 66 billion dollars which actually is a pittance if you think of the size of of monsanto they own 80 percent of all the the genomes all the seed yeah. uh, in the world they are the biggest food company monsanto was just bought by the biggest pharmaceutical company in the world now the, and this has been the long thing about monsanto monsanto is the owning of seeds yeah which which lessens wheat the very the very the original seeds get lost. Yeah, we're we're basically stripping down all of the varieties in our food systems. We're narrowing them down to these very specific varieties that work with the inputs. So the seed is designed to handle the input. That's what a GMO, a genetically modified crop, is modified in a laboratory to be able to handle being sprayed by by a herbicide or a pesticide. It lives. Everything else around it dies. I mean, what inputs? Can you explain the inputs? Input would be any kind of uh, of chemical used to grow that food. So Roundup is the biggest perpetrator, but there's many others. There's atrazine, there's 2,4-D, there's all kinds of chemicals that we're using to kill weeds. Okay. When the largest, when the pharmaceutical buys the chemical company in order to engineer and own seeds that are designed to be able to handle the chemicals. Mm -hmm. uh, all the sort of conspiracy things then are true at some level. Like the game, the system being rigged. Well, it would certainly seem that way. The largest pharmaceutical company buys the largest, basically the largest food company. <sighs> and many people are scratching their heads how, wondering how that passed antitrust muster. You know, Because like you control the, essentially the whole... Right thing oh, layers yeah so okay. it's essentially let us you know you get sick from consuming this food we make you better with with so that might be the that might be the story at the deepest level of what's actually happening there do you feel in your work like you're up against goliath yeah like uh like like to give you an example um monsanto or formerly monsanto has something like 150 lobbyists that they employ that are in Washington D.C. every day in offices of our of our policymakers, and Rodale Institute has a budget to employ a half-time lobbyist right now. So there's one one essentially half pers person person to hours. their 150. Yeah, trying to influence policymakers up yeah. against 150 yeah. well-connected, well-funded. Yeah, and our friends at the Organic Trade Association have one full-time lobbyist, I believe. So other groups doing similar work to Correct. you Correct. are just outgunned. Yeah. Well, for right now. <laughs> for right now, because the, there's there's a lot of joy in this story and hope, and we're going to get to that. Okay. Can we go back to your story? Because mm -hmm. I remember, was it when you were six? Mm -hmm. You got sick. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. You know, when I was a young child, I remember being... I just remember being ill all the time. If I wasn't actually sick and staying home from school, then I never really felt vital. I never really felt healthy. Where did you grow up? Uh, in eastern Pennsylvania, just okay. north of Philadelphia. Allentown, Pennsylvania. And what did your... And did you go to the doctor a lot? I was at the doctor all the time. It was, I, ultimately, I was diagnosed with asthma and, and severe allergies. But it, and how did this relate to food for you and all? Well, it... Well, in a very painful way at that age, um, go to the doctor, or this is, would have been around the mid, early to mid-1980s, go to the doctor, and the doctor did what he or she thought was best, prescribed medicine. My parents did what they thought was best, give me the medicine, and they really wanted me to be healthy. And so what ends up happening is that when you have asthma or allergies, at the time, you were, I was taking lots of medicines that took, had steroids in them, and so you'd you had this voracious appetite that never you never felt satiated, so I was I was overweight, very overweight as a kid, and so food to me was um, something that kind of added to my unhealth at the time. But it wasn't until I was about thirteen that I decided that I didn't want to live that way anymore, and I started connecting with healthy food. I don't know what it was, but something like struck in me that said I don't want to live this way anymore. And I gave I remember giving my mom a grocery list. I said, here go buy me all these foods. This is, this is how I want to eat. 
So, so you're she, a 13 year old in Eastern PA in the 1980s, and you get health food in your head. Yeah, don't. Yeah. But were there health food stores around? Was this something people were talking about? Were other 13 year olds? Actually, I remember to a T. Um, this is this is funny how how the story connects because I asked my mom to uh, to buy one day. I asked her to buy me a magazine at the grocery store. I said, "Buy me Men's Health magazine." It seemed like a good idea since I wanted to get healthy. So, you know, when you're a kid, and this is like pre-phones, pre-video games, yeah. you get a magazine, you read it like cover to cover yeah. like six times. <laughs> the advertisements, everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I found like a little grocery list in the magazine and I, I think I t tore it out and, and asked my mom to go buy me th this food at the store. And, and it worked. Well, I lost all this weight. And I then slowly over the next few years, I got off all the medicines. I lost the weight. I started playing sports. I started feeling fit and healthy. And then that actually became a real foundation to the to the rest of my life, thinking back on it. Did you, uh, if I would have met you when you were 18, did you go to college mm -hmm. around there? Yep. Went in, to college in Eastern Pennsylvania. When asked you, Jeff, what do you, what do you want to do with your life? What would you have said? At the time, I thought I wanted to be in sales and, or marketing, but I didn't know what that meant. And so what did you do after college? So after college, I had a, a girlfriend at the time, and she was from Eastern PA. She graduated from college a year ahead of me, so she was like established in a job. And she, um, I remember she wanted to stay in that part of the world because she loved her job. And I thought, well, what am I going to do here? Because how can I? At the time, I was really into health and wellness. I had a degree in marketing from college, so I had heard that there was this company called Rodale, based in this little town called Emmaus, Pennsylvania, who actually was the publisher of Men's Health magazine. The very magazine that I bought when I was 13. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, okay, I, I'm going to get a job there. I'm sure they hire marketing people. So that would have been in uh, September of 2001. I applied for a job and got the job. I was I got an entry level job in, inside the company. Never setting out to be in the publishing industry, but that decision kind of changed the whole trajectory of my life. Is that where, is that involved yoga journal? Uh, no, that came later. So okay. Rodale, uh, J.I. Rodale, our founder, uh, who coined the term organic, he founded the Rodale Institute in 1947. Um, but in 1942, he started a publishing company. I think we should dive into this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go. Okay. So J.I. Rodale uh, was not a farmer and he was not a publisher. He was actually a wealthy entrepreneur from New York City, born Jewish descent, very impoverished, was you know raised in Lower Manhattan in a in a very poor family, and in his early twenties, he and his brother were uh, they were entrepreneurs. They started a company and they they made a lot of money, and so he remembered from when he was a kid. He said, uh, "Whenever people develop wealth, they always do two things: they buy art and they buy a farm." So he bought a farm out in Pennsylvania because he he was really interested in health. He he was so he he was not healthy as a as a he had a very unhealthy much like me, a very unhealthy childhood, and he wanted to connect with growing his own food. So he bought a farm out in eastern Pennsylvania. It's kind of like the whole Green Acres thing. He moves his family out there, never farmed a day in his life. And so he starts um, going to all the the experts. He went to like Penn State University and Rutgers. That's where you would go to learn about farming at the time in the late 1930s. And they were saying, oh yeah, J.I., it's really simple. If you want to if you want to know about growing healthy food, it's real simple. You, you bring these inputs into your farm, <laughs> you put them on your soil, and you're going to grow healthy food. And he's like, actually, that, that made sense to him because he was a businessman. He and his brother, were a they owned a manufacturing company. And in order to make widgets, he knew he had to bring in really good like raw materials into the factory. And that's how you made like the highest yeah. end products. But then the more he thought about it, he's like, we're talking about growing food and I want to be healthy. So can someone please tell me what alchemy happens in the soil when you bring like like toxic chemicals into an equation? How how can you grow healthy food? And that's when he actually it dawned on him it was like a light bulb moment where he actually wrote literally on a chalkboard. He wrote the words healthy soil equals healthy food equals healthy people. And that became the whole genesis of our work today. That's been our mission statement for over 70 years. God, it's so elegant in its simplicity, right? You know what yeah. he was actually saying? I don't think J.I. Rodell was actually saying, you know, I think what he was actually saying is that our job as farmers is not to produce food. I think what he was saying is that our job as farmers is to produce healthy people. Ah, well, that's, that's a radical idea. Okay, so let's go back to you then. You're working in the, in Rodale 
a different part of it. I'm working on the for-profit side in the publishing industry. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you're publishing what? Uh, so my career started in, I, I, I bounced around. I was actually pretty good at what I did. I, I entered, I started in advertising sales and that ended, got it, got into management. And then I became publisher of a magazine called Organic Gardening, which was the original magazine inside of Rodale. J.I. Rodale launched Organic Gardening Magazine in 1942. I became the publisher at 27. So I'm like, you know, at 27 years old, I'm like leading this magazine. I had like a whole team of people and we, I had a, like, we sold advertising across the United States to major brands, like big food brands and auto brands would buy advertising in the magazine. And I was really loved that work. And it was, um, around 2005 that I thought to myself, I, I had all these like CEOs of these food companies that would come to, they wanted to come to Rodale. And I, I said, well, you don't really want to come see the publishing company. We really need to get you out to the Rodale Institute, which is the research institute, yeah. the farm. And it was the very first time I actually brought a CEO who was doing a lot of business with me. I took him out to the institute and it was like, oh my God. Like, I just couldn't believe the story that I heard and the work that I saw being done there. It was like, I'll never forget that first time I stepped on that, on that farm and, and, and heard. What was it? How, you were how old? At that time, I would have been in my late 20s. And what was it about the farm that, what was the impression? What did it smell like or feel like? Well, first like, of all, it was, was like, the... there was like some kind of depth, like something super profound. You could just get this sense that there was something radical happening there. That like was like... Reconnecting humans to the earth yeah. at some level. Like, like work that wasn't going on anywhere else and yet needed the story. Like what I remember, I remember hearing the story and seeing the science and thinking to myself, this is a story that needs to be told that's not being told. And I was a marketer. Like I was an, I was an ad guy. So my mind started going with like, how do we get the word out about Everybody this? Everybody should know about this. Because yeah. this is everybody. This isn't like for some people. Like what we eat in the soil is every human being. So... So everybody's in this story. Isn't the, um, I think you're agree, so isn't the, the Latin word for for human, humus? And so isn't that the same uh, word? Hum humus? Yeah. Uh, yeah, human, humus, and right. then of course hummus. Right. Well, <laughs> of course. My favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, isn't that an old uh, hum humus or hum is, uh, means like. Soil and ground. Yeah, yeah, right. And human. So you had this. Um, and how pe many people were working on this farm? At the time, the Rodale Institute was small, certainly smaller, about the third of the sizes it is today. I think it was about 30 employees at the time. And you're on this, because there's that, like, um, you think about Jurassic Park, <laughs> you know, like the movie when he's, when they first come around and discover this thing that's been, there's like this hush, like, oh, look what they're doing here. That's exactly what it was like. Like this, oh, this is, look what they're doing here. Yeah. Wow. That was late 20s. Yeah. And then a number of years later, you become the fella in charge. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened. Well, you know, it's almost like the, like, like an indelible marker was etched on me that day. Like it was just like seared into my conscience. Like I just felt something and that feeling stayed with me. Never went away. Yeah. So now the Rodale Institute, the primary research is in farming methods that restore the proper sustainability of the soil. That's exactly that right? right. So we do applied research. So we're a 333-acre living laboratory. There's about 60 research projects going on at any given time. And what we're essentially doing is doing the science that would give farmers the best practices to move away from chemical dependent farming to working again with biology as opposed to chemistry. So we're basically doing methods, scientific methods that can then be given, given away to any farmer anywhere in the world to, to begin. And to then farm. how do you get it out to the, to farmers how does that work? A couple, couple different ways. So obviously we rely heavily on digital communications on our website to do a lot of teaching. We do a lot of e-learning. Um, but then we also host these field days, which are profound because we'll have, last year we had farmers come from, I think, 13 different countries. And it's like one day in July where we, it's like an open house and all of our research is set up and people come and it's like a one day immersion into, into what we do. But then- Can a civilian come? Totally. So anybody could show up oh, and walk around percent. and see this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we, have, we host over 30,000 people a year at our, at our institute, and I invite everyone listening to come. 
And uh, is there food? There's food being grown on the grounds. There is. And, and, you know, we're not a production farm, so it's not like you would come and purchase food for consumption, although I guess you could, but it's more of like research about methodologies that would empower farmers all over the world to do it better. And the idea is ultimately I'm at the store buying groceries Mm -hmm. and what is available to me and what it was grown in and what wasn't used on it and what was it all that shifts you're like way upstream yeah. yeah shifting things yeah so that we in the store getting food for our family will gradually have something better yeah yeah we're at, we actually have this um 40-year study it's called the farming systems trial so just imagine that 40 consecutive years of these side-by-side comparisons it's a 12-acre study where we're growing organic and conventional grain crops so like corn soy oats wheat And there's like randomized plots and some are being sprayed with Roundup and some are being grown in a regenerative organic manner where there's cover crops and crop rotations and no-till happening. And so over this 40 years, we actually, um, we've, we've come to the conclusion through science that in years of extreme drought or rain, which is happening all over the world right now, uh, the organic systems outperform the conventional systems by up up to 40% in terms of yields. We're using 40% less energy in the organic systems. We are, um, and, and what's I think maybe even the most compelling is that it's three, the organic systems are three times more profitable. So we have this, this study that actually, when you go to the grocery store and you see that little USDA organic logo, uh-huh. that legislation happened in 1990 because of that one research project. So our government, there was a number of leaders in the food industry that were going back and forth to Washington, D.C., asking our government, our federal government, to create one standard for organic production. And our government essentially laughed these leaders out of the room and said, listen, if you want to create legislation, you need science. You need to prove that organic is even a real thing. So Bob Rodale, which would be J.I. Rodale's son, went back to Pennsylvania and started this 40-year study. And it was enough evidence after 10 years for our government to, to say, okay, we get it. You know, let's let's do it. So now, when you oh, go to the store, the, you know, shout out to Bob, by the way. <laughs> shout out to is Bob Rodale is alive? Uh, sadly, Bob Rodale died in 1990 over in Russia. He was killed tragically while he was over there trying to train farmers in Russia. <sighs> yeah, but you think about oh, you think about somebody that visionary, that visionary. I'm gonna do something right now that we, we're gonna do something right now for the next 40 years to make a point. And by the way, can I just say that science is not cheap. You know, the, most people like our, you know, there's like the USDA has, st- they have organic research going on at some of the USDA sites around the, this, the, the nation. However, doing long-term, tri- agriculture takes time. It's not like you see yeah, results in yeah. one year, two years. Right, right, right. It's biology. It takes time to play out. Yeah. And so you got to commit a lot of money to doing this research. And you have to have, so interesting when you've been talking, I've been thinking you have to, it's not just soil, it's ha- your conceptions of time. Yeah, because of the modernization and mechanisms that are so lever pulley button, we build a machine, you push a button, and the thing happens. Yeah, and that when you shift to agriculture, because for me in in my work, when you talk about spirit, soul, everything is spiritual. When you talk about growing in spiritual maturity, that's just a fundamentally different thing than pushing a button and getting a result and turning the crank on a machine. It so much more lends itself, the spirit and soul and the heart to planting seeds, patience, resilience. You know what I mean? I think Tending it's, to it, in, cultivation, it takes a while. Our connection to food and soil is arguably the most sacred thing happening on planet Earth. Absolutely. Food, yeah. you know, the power of the plate, like what we put on. I mean, yeah, I think that's yeah, the yeah. hope of it all is that we can turn this around Beca- Absolutely. Because we as consumers, what, here's what's interesting. Here's what gives. Here's what drives me every day is that right now the or so the total U.S. food economy, about six percent of the total U.S. food economy, is organic. So about six percent of all the food we buy at the grocery store is organic. Fourteen percent of all the produce we purchase is organic. I think eighty uh, percent of all U.S. households have bought one organic item in the last month. And so there's actually data that leaks. So it's a small percentage in terms of volume, but a large percentage in terms of participation. Yeah, $100 billion industry. That's interesting. That inverse relationship is interesting. So get this. Um, there's, some, there's some economic data that leaked, uh, allegedly leaked from Monsanto. This is before they were bought by Bayer, where their own economists inside of, of Monsanto 
stu- did a study that says, oh my gosh, when we get to 16%, when the market gets to 16%, our business model is no longer viable. But it's like a tipping point of it's organic. A tipping point. When 16. 16% of food in the grocery store is organic, then you've reached, you've moved past innovators and early adapters. You're now getting into like second stage adapters. That's right. And then something catches on. That's right. Yeah. See, what's interesting about your thing is I was at DEF CON 5 <laughs> in the first part of your talk. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, we're all going to die even uh-huh. sooner. Uh-huh. Um, but then that is a completely, that's a completely different thing to my spirit. So th- there's something, there, I, you know, I think that the greatest uh, argument is that we all vote every moment of every day. We eat three times a day. And so what we put on our plate can actually change the future of humanity. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's s- interesting because organic f- food is generally more expensive. Um, but you think about laptops, you think about how many things, when they first appear, are more expensive. And then That's whoever right. can buy them buys them, and then that the price immediately starts coming down, and more and more people have access. Yeah. There's a there's a particular pattern here that we've seen again and again. Yeah, you know, my wife and I personally we make sacrifices so that we can put organic food on the table every night. You know, we don't go we don't go out to dinner as much because we want to we spend more at the grocery store. And guess what? We actually love cooking with each other and having a conversation. Uh, what do you have? What does a guy like you have for breakfast? For breakfast, oh, I'm a Vitamix guy. Love, Absolutely. love the Vitamix. What do you put in the Vitamix? I I always have a banana base. I'm a big fan of smoothies. Because yeah. you have spent now a number of years up close in food and its effects mm-hmm. and health and all that. Completely. And you start with a banana. Well, banana is the base. I just feel like it makes the best smoothie. And then you add from there. Greens, ginger, That's funny. That's kale. exactly how I feel. Do you really? Yeah. Are you a Vitamix guy too? Oh my goodness, Absolutely. Love I'll it. do multiple meals in a day that are just uh, same. stuff I threw in a Vitamix. Same. <laughs> okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one. This is great. Oh, yeah. You just start putting things in it. Yeah. That was, uh, that was how this morning went. Just started putting things in it. So <laughs> I was like, okay, that seems good. <laughs> do you go to a farmer's market? Uh, I go to, there's a Whole Foods up there. Uh-huh. A Sprouts just went in. Uh-huh. Um this is no endorsements here. Just shout outs. Yeah, you're loving life. And then I got my Trader Joe's, which, of course, I'm bonkers about. Naturally. Mm-hmm. I've been very public about my love of Trader Joe's. Y- you have. Uh, so, um, I think one of the most, um, the greatest spiritual acts we can do is get to know a farmer. I think that everyone should have a relationship with a farmer. I think there are these intrepid souls out there that are stewarding soil. These farmers that are doing the right thing. That mm-hmm. um, many of them are, you know, farmers markets. The growth in farmers markets has been a trend here in the U.S. economy, and yeah. that's exciting to me because these farmers now have markets where they can sell their goods and they can be paid a fair pr- wage for what they're doing. And so I would, you know, I challenge people all the time. I say, get to know a farmer. You need to have a relationship with a farmer. <sighs> Kristen, you're feeling that, aren't you? Kristen Bell is in the back house. There we go. There's oh. a farmers market right here. Mm-hmm. Like a walk to. Yeah. Uh, okay. There we go. That's my new, my next thing now. Yeah. It's, it's Sunday mornings. Um, I'm going to walk over there. I'm going to get to know a farmer. You know, it's funny too. I'm going to get to know a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not stop with one. <laughs> I can't. You know, maybe even like, like go visit a farm someday. Like just yeah. drive outside of town. We are actually have plans. Have you guys seen the movie Biggest Little Farm? You know what? I just saw the trailer because oh, somebody else so told good. me I have to go see Biggest John Little Farm. John and Molly, I know them. They're amazing people. Do you know them? Uh, yes. And I just watched the trailer and was like, and my daughter, so good. Violet, wanted to watch it as well. So, that, done. You're giving me all kinds of things to do. And we are going to stay on a farm in a couple of weeks. You are? Um, yes. So. Love it. I don't know why I had to put that in, like like a good student. <laughs> like, broadcast people. Check. I, Check. I, I, I'm going to pass the exam. Um, well, actually, you and you and people ask me too, okay, what, Jeff, what else can I do? And I always tell them, take your shoes and socks off and go walk in soil. Yeah. yeah. Just go walk in. So, you know, actually, my friend, um, Dr. Zach Bush, he actually, if 
your audience is interested in going deeper on some of the things I'm talking about today, Zach is a good friend of mine, and he was interviewed twice by Rich Roll. And those two oh episodes will blow your mind. It, right. I've never met him, but I'm a huge fan of his work. He is glorious. Yeah. yeah. Rich Roll's podcast is glorious. I, when I've been on that podcast, I've had such a lovely time with him. So you I was did. wondering, when you were talking, I was thinking, does Rich know about Rich is being in all this? Who's your friend? Uh, Dr. Zach Bush. Zach Bush. And okay. Zach has, uh, he does, he's done a lot of, uh, you know, he basically has had this incredible journey that's led him out of medicine uh, to basically working with farmers because he realizes that no matter what, how much chemotherapy we develop in labs, there's, there's no hope for changing our cancers unless we change the way we farm. That's, that it's the clearest day. But Zach will say that the microbiome, our, our human yeah, microbiome, yeah. the way to rebuild it is to, you know, obviously eat better, eat cultured foods, eat organic foods, but also the microbiome begins right here in the nose. So you need to get out into nature. And when you breathe in, you're actually breathing in healthy microbiome. So if you're in the ocean surfing, or if you're in a forest laying, you know, next to, you know, tall grass, you're actually inhaling this microbiology through your nasal passages. And that's how it gets into your body. Okay. So, um, Let's go to how people can hear more from you, yeah. find more about Rodale. Yeah. And then do you what? want to talk about my, my own health journey? Yes. Do we have time Let's for do that? that? Of course. Okay. okay, cool. We make up the time. Yeah, I know. So. All right. <laughs> Tell me it's more about your own health journey. Do you have to go? Are you okay? We okay. left off at <clears throat> 13. Yeah, 13. Then we got to my, mid, my late 20s and then... Um, Okay, so in 2013, I got recruited away from the Rodale Publishing to go be a big corporate executive for a competitive company to Rodale in Boulder, Colorado. And so I, of course, did what any enthusiastic business guy would do, and I accepted the job and moved to Colorado. I had a great life out there for a couple of years and was doing some work with um, a, co a company that owned Yoga Journal magazine, and I was running uh, a group of magazines, Yoga Journal being one of them. And then did that for three years and then got invited back to Pennsylvania in 2016 to be in the, in the top officer of the Rodale Publishing Company and help lead that business through a very challenging time. And um, when I got invited back, there was this feeling that came alive in me again. And it was that moment when I first stepped on the farm in 2005, like that, like the, the invitation to come back to Pennsylvania to do this work in publishing reignited this thought that had been dormant in me for many years of like, oh, there was that thing that was happening in their nonprofit. Uh, yeah, and yeah. that story needs to be told. It still hasn't been told and it needs to be amplified. And what time, you know, what no, no time like the present. So when I accepted the leadership position to come back, I asked the CEO, um, who happened to be Maria Rodale, which was the third generation leader of the company. Bob's daughter? Bob's daughter. Shout out to Bob. Shout out to Bob. I asked Maria if I could get more involved in the nonprofit, you know, in, in at the same time. And she, I think, was pleasantly surprised. And she said, well, how about you be on the board of directors? So I, of course, accepted and came back to the company and was doing this very intense work, but also serving on the board of directors in my, in my uh, spare time, I guess. And my life, you know, if you know anything about the publishing industry, it was a very stressful time, and I was under a ton of stress, ton of stress, and was trying, I had the weight of the world on my shoulders, and um, one day I got sick, like I had been this very healthy guy, tons of energy, and unexplained, unexplainedly got sick one day, just like bedridden, like felt like a typical flu or something. So I went, went to the doctor a couple of days later, and he, you know, did some tests and blood work. Um, told me that he thought it was probably just a virus and went home. He asked me just to rest. Days and days went by, and I'm like still really sick. I mean, fever, chills, body aches, and I knew something wasn't right. So I went back to the doctor, did another panel of blood work, and over the next 60 days, it was just this back and forth. It was a typical like family practice doctor, and he was finding nothing in the blood work. And at one point, he basically said, listen, I, you know, why don't you try this? And he gave me a prescription to an antibiotic called Cipro, Ciprofloxin. And I took up the full course, and I was never the same again after taking that antibiotic. Like it, just, I, I actually ended up by the end. So that by the end of like, let's say three, never the same meaning. Like my health was, I my body to this day has never been the same again as it was after a negative. Correct. Yeah. So about three months into this whole ordeal, I'm now bedridden. Um, I had to go on medical leave. 
mind you, I, the doctor like never told me that we never diagnosed me with anything. I was so sick. I started having panic attacks and depression, which I'd never experienced those in my life. And the last, this, I'll never forget this. It was the uh, the week between Christmas and New Year's. The doctor basically said to me, "The only thing I have to offer you is an antidepressant, and I really don't r- think there's anything more I can do for you. I'm going to refer you to a specialist." And that was the last I heard from that doctor. And so now I'm like in this complete depressed state and uh, very scared. My wife was very scared. There was no answers. And uh, I didn't know what my future was. And finally, through a referral, a friend of mine referred me to this doctor who practices what's called functional medicine. So he's a medical doctor. Got to this doctor. To this day, he's my doctor. He's amazing. And he... Uh, first thing he did was he said, tell me about the antibiotic you're on. And I told him, and he's like, oh, no. He's like, I've seen patients, like, this isn't good. He's like, there's something called fluoroquinolone toxicity. It's the family of antibiotics you took is called a fluoroquinolone. And he started doing all these detox therapies, like nothing, just all natural, like sort of detox protocols. And I started little by little feeling better, got back to work. And then some symptoms came, reemerged, and he tested me for Lyme disease. And that's what it was. It was like, I had chronic Lyme disease at that point. So um, it's just interesting to me when I think about the parallels to what is happening in agriculture with this killing of all the life. I was already sick. I was already down. And this doctor says, here, take an antibiotic, which killed any remaining life in my immune system. Yeah. Yeah, you have experienced at the most intimate personal bodily levels the micro version of the macro yeah. thing that we're all in the midst of. Yeah, yeah. And so what this was is systemic and personal for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? The mission you're on. It's very inspiring because it comes from deep within you. It comes from a very... And then very... extends outwards in every direction. Um, when I was at my darkest moment, it would have been March of uh, 2017, I was like kind of finally getting some answers and just... Yeah. Uh, I had this this thought one night where I was like, I am not going back to that job. Like, um, I'm leaving corporate America because there's this other work I have to go do. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, you had like a moment. Yeah. Were you angry? Yeah, I was embarrassed. I was really embarrassed because I was this like capable guy who always, you know, said yes to anything that people would ask me to do and then you know, had unlimited boundless energy, and then one day it was all taken from me like that. You know, it was just, I had nothing to offer to anyone. Mm. And that was like the most humbling feeling I've ever scary. experienced. It was extremely scary. Very scary. Not to mention the anxiety and depression that came along with that, which was, they were they were new emotions to me. I'd never felt that way before. Mm-hmm. I'd never felt depression. Mm-hmm. And then this new doctor, uh, what, what, you rebuild your immune system you flush toxins out like what yes it's 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 funny because people ask me all the time what did you do what did you do to get better and i actually think it's it's very analogous to agriculture to organic farming it's like almost like okay let's start at the soil level of my body let's let's start at the ecology level of my body body is very intelligent yeah and it knows how to heal itself i mean food is ultimately medicine yeah and so it be- I began this journey, which like has run parallel to my career. My my work at Rodale Institute has been like parallel to my help my healing journey, yeah. which I'm still on. By the way, I don't feel. How do you feel now? Uh, on most days, I feel about ninety percent better, except for on the days I get to go surfing. Then that's usually makes. Me I was make- just gonna say we'll go surfing tomorrow morning, <sighs> and we'll bump that into the upper nineties. We might go all the way to hundred. <laughs> we're going. We're going. We're gonna go Jay Z. My all goal. the way to ten. We're here, but we're going here. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's my goal for tomorrow morning. Okay. Is that it stays with you for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, how can people get a hold of uh, the Institute, you? How can they learn more? Yeah, it's, uh, it's really important that we engage with this work. Um, there is very little monies in our government, um, you know, $17 trillion GDP, and very little, if any, goes to organic farming research. Let's just say zero goes to organic farming research. Yeah. So we need people to support this. It's rodaleinstitute.org. Um, R-O-D-A-L-E. That's right. Institute.org. And then my team just put up a really cool resource that I cannot more highly recommend. It's called The Truth About Organic. It's a downloadable PDF. On this site. It's on the site. Yep. And the PDF is 
very accessible information on all this. thousand percent, yeah. And that would be something great to take into your communities and to begin to educate one another and reconnect with the sacredness of soil. Man, oh man. Anything else that we skipped over or that you want to loop back to that people need to know? Because that's like alone, like, yeah. whoa. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, can I just, like, can we splice one little thing in Absolutely here? Absolutely, sure. Okay, like, I don't know where you might put this, but... Um, well, we'll let people put it wherever they want to put it. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to reference uh, one particular study that uh, I just got some data that came through my email this afternoon before I came over here. Um, our chief scientist sent it to me, and it was a study that was comparing proteins in um, organic grain systems versus proteins in conventional. It was wheat. So they were studying is a one-year comparison. And um, what was interesting is that when you compared the protein content uh, in, in organic wheat versus conventional wheat that was sprayed with, with Roundup and other chemicals, the, they were exactly the same. So there was no stati statistical difference in protein content. However, when you looked at the amino acid, oh, first of all, when you looked at the weight, the total weight per bushel of organic was way higher. So we're actually, by this, this sort of or regenerative organic process makes a heavier, more dense wheat. Mm -hmm. So that's, that was one like standout thing. It's like, yeah. oh my gosh, this, this is not the same thing. Yeah. And then when you get under the microscope, the amino acids, there's something called essential amino acids and non-essential amino acids. Essential amino acids you and I need in our diet to make us healthy. It's almost like the, it's almost like the nutrients that we're eating. The, nu the, the nutrient density of food we're eating today is way less than it was you know, 50, 60 years ago. And what we found in this study just after one year is that the essential amino acids in the organic wheat was like exponentially higher, like exponentially. And so what Roundup essentially does is it, there's something called the shikamite pathway. And a plant has a shikamite pathway. It's what takes nutrients out of the soil and into the plant. And what this chemical does is it actually destroys that pathway. It inhibits the plant's ability to take up nutrients. And, and, and so now we're, being, we're, we're able to actually see the consequences of that under a microscope. And you're seeing this stuff every day. Every day. And like I said, we only know 10% about what we know about the soil. So just this little sliver of 10% is yeah. like... There's these researchers at the Penn State Hershey Medical Center. Penn State Hershey is one of the biggest cancer re research centers in the country. We got a call out of the blue from one of their head scientists a couple of years ago because the guy was stunned. He found this thing called this, this amino acid called ergothionine. You never heard of it. But they were studying it under micro microscopes, and they were actually comparing it in Petri dishes versus chemotherapy. So like chemotherapy and cancer cells in one Petri dish, ergothionine and cancer cells in another Petri dish. And the ergothionine was outperforming the chemotherapy. So the scientists said, well, where, do you, where does this come from? And they found that it's actually synthesized in the soil. It's made by soil bacteria and fungi. But we, have, we, we used to get it in our food. Like pre-1960, you and I would eat ergothionine. And now it's almost completely eradicated from our food system. So this incredibly uh, painful, frightening process of chemotherapy to hopefully eradicate cancer, something much more powerful exists in the soil, and people were just ingesting it with everyday diets. Yeah. Yeah. Good God. I feel like you could go all day on this stuff. We could go all day. Okay. We're just going to so do it again. At some point, a part two. There's going to be a part two, and maybe we could even get you to come visit someday when you're out on the East Coast. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You've completely cranked me up. <laughs> I'm terrified, angry, and hopeful, and thrilled people like you are doing. You know what I mean? And I'm... Uh, have such wonder and awe about the earth it's wonder and, and soil. Awe. It's wonder and awe at the deepest level. I'm going to end with one thing. Yeah. You know, at the, at, at the, at the deepest level of, of soil, there's this. it's a communication system. It's carbon molecules that talk to one another. Soil communicates across very, very far and wide expanses. Soil can literally communicate with itself. And I think that we're at this sort of redawning moment in human history where we yeah. need to reconnect. It's about coming back to community yeah. and yeah. where our food yeah. comes from and how. It's not enough just to ask, what are you putting on your plate? We need to begin to ask ourselves how what we're eating was produced. You know, we talk about global warming. Yeah. Our science and science that's happening all over the world right now 
is showing that if we change the way we farm, we can we can completely reverse global warming. Carbon, which is currently in the atmosphere and heating up our our our, our atmosphere, is is meant to be stored in the soil. And so when we begin to farm in this organic manner, we're actually taking carbon out of the atmosphere and pulling it into the soil. So if you love oceans like I do, we need to start talking about soil because if you want to heal the oceans, you gotta you gotta heal the soil. Yeah, so. Everything is connected to everything else. Mm -hmm. This is the great moment. The great apocalyptic moment we're in is the revelation that everything is connected with everything else. I think order comes out of chaos. Absolutely. Oh, man. Oh, man. By, the, by tomorrow morning in the water on our surfboards, I will have a whole other Robcast episode <laughs> worth of questions. Or I might still be overwhelmed with all this. Thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. What You're so honor. inspiring to me. It's such an honor to have you here. Uh, you are somebody who so deeply inspired Kristen and I, mm. and we're totally behind you. And wow. I really, really see it. If Robcast people could crash your website, it would oh make me so happy. Oh my God, I would. <laughs> I think that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Catch. Can you spell catch for people who are listening yeah. in their car and don't see it written out? T K A C H. Silent T. Jeff Catch, ladies and gentlemen, from the Rodell Institute. This has been an introduction to soil, mm. and we'll go from here. Yeah. Peace and love to all of you. Thanks, everyone.